This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. The following content may contain strong language. Welcome back to the third series of the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast with me, Simon Stevens. There's something of a gesture of disguise to the plays of Laura Wade that I find to be as powerful as it is playful. Her 2005 play Colder Than Here might, for example, have looked like a familiar family drama but was in fact a play scorched in raw grief, grief disguised as politeness. Her celebrated 2010 smash hit Posh managed to provoke right-wing and left-wing audiences alike into similar levels of enthusiasm, as in its unflinching portrayal of the kind of drinking club that various Tory ministers from the last decade attended at university, it lacerated the privilege that some audience members believed it to be championing. Her most recent play, the brilliant Home I'm Darling, which played at the Dorfman Theatre at the National throughout this summer of 2018, has the veneer of a comedy of manners, but for me skewers the self-delusions and destructive yearnings of nostalgia that have driven England onto the cliff edge of economic self-immolation that leaving the European Union appears to be turning into. Born in Sheffield, she's written for stage since she was in sixth form. Her debut play, Limbo, being produced at her beloved Crucible Theatre there. After graduating from Bristol University, where she first met and worked with longtime friend and collaborator Tamara Harvey, Harvey directed Home I'm Darling, Wade worked on a series of plays and adaptations for the children's theatre company Playbox in Warwick and made her London debut at the Fimbra with her adaptation of W.H. Davis's Young Emma. It was around this time that I first met her when she enrolled on a group at the Young Writers Programme here at the Royal Court. I remember her intelligence and determination, her capacity for irony and her generosity to her peers in her group. It was while she was here on the programme that she worked on Colder Than Here and shortly after she left that she wrote the dazzling and disturbing Escher print of a play, Breathing Corpses. Breathing Corpses played in the Royal Court Theatre upstairs and won the George Devine Award and Critics Circle Award for Most Promising Playwright. Posh followed Breathing Corpses here when it opened in the theatre downstairs. It was directed by Lindsay Turner, another director who Wade has returned to collaborate with again and again. It earned rhapsodic reviews, transferred to a successful run in the West End and was adapted to film under the new title of The Riot Club. It captured the sense of catastrophe as England as a nation was gripped in the pudgy adult hands of those entitled boys that the play so ferociously dramatised. One of the things I most respect about Wade as a writer is the diversity of her work and the energy of her imagination. She's written for film, television and radio, but also written texts performed at the Sydney Opera House. She's adapted novels, Alice from Alice in Wonderland for the Sheffield Crucible, tipping the velvet for the lyric Hammersmith. Her newest play that will open at Chichester this autumn is an adaptation and completion of Jane Austen's final unfinished novel, The Watsons. It'll be directed by her third long-term collaborator, the actor-director Sam West. West also happens to be a long-term partner and father to her kids. Her plays return to formal inventiveness with wit and imagination. This inventiveness is counterpointed by an insistent fascination with England. 
as it struggles to define itself in the face of accelerating redundancy. This counterpoint has led to what I believe to be one of the most exciting bodies of work in contemporary playwriting. Laura Wade, welcome to the Royal Court. Thanks very much. <laughs> These Follow introductions that. are getting longer and longer. <laughs> it's kind of how I spend my weekend now. I love it's it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm well. Yeah, I just uh, I just handed a script in, so I'm in that Come on. elation. That's, uh, 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 can we ask what yes. theatre or, or film um, script? Or? Yeah, it was the final rehearsal draft for the Watsons, oh, which we go into nice. rehearsal for a week today. Oh, brilliant! So yeah, so that good feeling really before we like take the lid off it in rehearsal and start fiddling around with stuff. But I always think when you're when you're in rehearsal, when you're actually in the rehearsal room, kind of the writers like pass the test. Yeah. Like they've programmed the play. Yeah. They've started. The they're, gonna, they're not going to yeah. cancel it now. Yeah, they can't now. So you It'll can just really kick expensive. back and relax. Yeah. Take the piss out of the director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe not so much this time. I'm <laughs> with my partner. Um, the, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. I mean, I, feel, I always feel like that's the fun bit as well. Once you get into rehearsal, it's like that's the bit that I'm thinking about somewhere in the back of my head when I sort of start writing something that at some point, hopefully, mm. we'll get to that fun bit where there's lots of other people in a room and there's croissants and stuff. I like, I like that idea. I like the idea that we, when we're writing a play, we're imagining the life that it will have and yeah. that that imagination isn't necessarily only imagining it on stage but might be imagining it in the rehearsal room yeah and kind of kicking it around with actors you like and, yeah that yeah. D that sort of brief moment where it all bursts into life and instead of one brain you've got 12 or however many it's really thrilling yeah the um i always ask people the same question to start because i've got very little imagination <laughs> and i just kind of return but it's a to series you've got to you've you got know, to stick exactly. with your genre haven't you thanks mate yeah. thanks, thanks for no, that support right. um and but it's an interest it yields a lot i mean it's an interesting question um and uh the question that we, which i'll ask you is what was the first time that you uh, ever went to the theater well, I started going from quite a young age, um, as you mentioned in the introduction, um, my beloved Crucible Theatre was the first theatre that I went to. The first show that, I'm not sure if it technically was the first one I went to, but the first show I sort of have mental images of see, seeing was a, an adaptation of The Railway Children oh, lovely. on the Crucible stage. Um, I'm sure my parents had taken me to other things before that but um, and that really imprinted on my memory that there was a particular bit where in the story the children have to stop an act, stop a train mm. um, and on that stage they had what seemed to me at that small age I must have been five or something an actual train kind of come on from the back and accelerate towards them and probably, you know, it was a couple of stagehands pushing, <laughs> <laughs> pushing a flat with the front of the train on it. Yeah. Um, but the, the the absolute magic of that, I mean, I was completely gripped Did by you think it, the by train was, what was that, um, uh, the very early movie, the very, very early film, where, yeah, the train leaving the tunnel, away. where people in France yeah. kind of screamed and yeah. ran away. Were you there? Did it you was partly that. Well, yeah. I was partly completely gripped by it, but also I'm, I think... I don't think I'm overestimating the child I was, but I think also there was that double understanding of it's not being real yeah. and that having its own magic yeah. that 
that how amazing that we're all sitting here looking at this thing and we all absolutely believe it's a real train even though we know of course it's not because we're in a theater yeah oh, wonderful. um yeah utterly intoxicating and it's in, i sometimes and i've talked about that moment before um it, it sort of slightly interests me that it's a moment of stage craft or spectacle or something that it's you know I, I don't know if other people have come in here and said well I saw the caretaker and I was very impressed by the <laughs> no, uh, the verbal no, sparring no. between the two actors it's normally you know? panto so, mate you are it? by far the most highbrow <laughs> Got first theatre memory that, I, that, that I've had in right, the 25 okay. interviews I've done so it's quite good That's you're good. doing well okay okay I mean I saw the caretaker when I was six <laughs> very impressed why did you go to the theatre so often so young was it uh, your parents theatre lovers I don't think it was hugely often. I think it's just it, it was hugely important. Right. Um, and it was a thing to do. And in Sheffield, the Crucible is a, is beloved of everyone there, really. Right. Um, and it's a thing that a lot of people do. Mm. Um, you know, I've talked to people who more recently have, have worked there and they talk about, you know, you go, you go in Marks and Sparks at lunchtime and buy a sandwich and the, the person on the checkout wants to tell you what they thought of the play you directed. And so, and it's really like it's really part of the city. That's beautiful. Um, in a way that I sort of pity other cities that that don't have that. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's right there. You walk past it on a Saturday when you're out shopping, and mm. um, it it used to have this mad little gift shop in the foyer that me and my friends used to go in and buy like mood rings and stuff <laughs> from in the in the nineties. Um, so. Um, it was it was so I I probably we we might have gone three or four times a year sort mm. of thing you know um, but when I was a bit older it was um, in my sort of early teens we'd get the brochure through the door several times a year and I'd you know, by then it was usually my dad taking me to stuff right. and he'd say you can choose two things right and or two or three things and I'd sort of pick them and then we'd work out when to go so it wasn't you know I mean it. It wasn't possible to go as often as it's possible to go to the theatre in London, but it was massively important to me, and it was always a big event. The, was it um, from an early age? Do you remember it being something that you aspired to work in in some way? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I all of my um, games as a child were, a, were had a sort of performance element. Right. So, um, sort of imaginary games would would quite often end up with there being a play that my parents or the parents of my friends would have to would have to watch or um, mm -hmm. um, or I would read things thinking about how I would stage them it was um, we had a few musicals on vinyl that I used to sit and listen to that I hadn't seen things mm -hmm. like the Phantom of the Opera which mm -hmm. I still haven't seen actually but I would sit there and imagine sit there with a sort of I had one of those sort of gatefold album covers and I sit there with it on my lap reading the lyrics and oh thinking about imagining how I would how stage, stage it, it or imagining I remember filling a notebook with my imagined production of Jesus Christ Superstar that I'd cast from my like friends <laughs> 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 this is, my parents probably have it in their attics so they're like little you know friends playing Pontius Pilate or something or Mary aged eight sort of thing um <laughs> yeah, so I was so I was thinking about I was thinking about theatre, and I think I had my nose pressed up against the glass of it for a long time. And right. That's yeah. The um, what was um, were you 
a writer as a child? Because it's really fascinating hearing you talk. Quite often people talk about a love of reading as a child and love mm. of writing as a child. But the way you talk about theatre is so infectious. It's like it was theatre rather than literature that always drew you. Yeah, I was writing. Yeah. I was writing. And writing was always sort of simultaneously writing was a thing that I was good at at school and got me attention and I don't mean that in a kind of um no it's always pleasing it's always well it was and yeah. I was a very quiet shy child right. who didn't um I think my personality didn't necessarily come out in a class context really but um but writing was something that I was able to put my personality into and sort of mm. got got noticed and I remember having things read out to the class Mm. and finding that enormously gratifying. Did you enjoy school? What kind of school did you go to as well? In a sort of mixed way. I didn't... I had... My social interactions were not always easy. I wasn't able to um, pretend not to be a SWAT. (laughs) Me neither. You know, it was too important. Yeah. Did you go to the kind of school like I did where being a SWAT was just... Not okay. ...worthy of nothing but contempt? yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and also they thought, cause I went to a, a very normal primary school, yeah. um, and they, th- I got accused of being posh as well, even though I wasn't remotely posh, but um, but I didn't have a Sheffield accent. My mum isn't from Sheffield, and right. she's not posh either, but um, she'd taught me to speak, and I think I just sort of had, a slight, so I had a slightly different voice from yeah. some of the other children, yeah. which they took as posh. And then, yeah, I wasn't able to not really care about my homework. You know, I really did care about my homework and I really cared about, if they gave us a poem to write, I really cared about getting getting it really good and, and hopefully having it read out and then getting my head kicked in sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't literally get my head kicked in because it was girls, of course, so it was girls just being... It was much more psychological terrorism much more rather psychological than physical assault. Terrorism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The, um, that. I remember, um, uh, I remember very vividly one tube journey with you uh, after a group at the Young Writers Programme when you told me you were from Sheffield, mm. being absolutely staggered. <laughs> <laughs> I am the least likely Yorkshire person in the world. <laughs> because of the accent. I yeah. love the idea that it was something that your mother encouraged and kind of refined yeah, you. Yeah, it just wasn't even thought about. I mean, my, you know, my dad sounds like a... A proper um, Yorkshireman. Yeah. Um, do you feel like a like your? Do you have Yorkshire in your sense of self? I think I have the landscape. Mm. I, you know, I like um, I like a rugged landscape. I like crags yeah. and cliffs and um, weirdly arranged boulders. <laughs> you know, <I> think <laughs> that the there is some something in my soul. I think that that gets the moors. Yeah. Um, and the the sort of um, simultaneous beauty and bleakness of that. Um, mm. So yeah, so I, yeah, I feel that's in there. And I think I I find myself drawn towards Yorkshire voices if I hear people on the tube or whatever. I sort of yeah. and I do still, you know, I notice the uh, the kindness of of that city. The Sheffield accent's one of my favourite Sheff- in England. It's, it's, it's brilliant. beautiful, yeah. I mean, Leo Butler's voice. Yeah, it's I could great. listen to him. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a good example of a Sheffield person, yeah. Leo. 
but also that the um, the inability to take any nonsense as well. Right. That, you know. Yeah. And um, you were writing for theatre by the time you were in sick form. Mm. I love the idea. That you, did you write? Uh, uh, what, was, what was your first play? I'm suddenly blanking. Limbo. After all my weekend's preparation, I know. I just blanked when I, I hope needed you it read most. It. No, I've not. No. Is it published? No. Oh. No. That would be think... good. It would have been good if I'd, if I'd done that much preparation. If you had been to the British Library and <laughs> dug out a copy of that, I would actually have to kill you because I've you... killed everybody else. <laughs> I saw it. But, um, um, but you're writing that in sick form. Yeah. Well, so, so I guess to go back to this sort of chicken and egg question about theatre and writing yeah. I think my one agenda through the later part of my childhood was how am I going to have a career working in the theatre wow so it wasn't That's from re- some like burning political anger that I needed to you know it was just, it was how, just how, am I gonna, how am I going to work in the theatre Yeah. and writing was the thing that I was best at and, and, and the idea of creating a play as well I think more, did you act at school or at university a bit yeah yeah yeah, a bit, um, but and but never really very comfortably. Right. Never yeah. with you know with the um, the comfort that someone needs to have when they step onto stage, or the yeah. ability to hold the, a lot of lines in your head, or just be sort of unselfconscious enough to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, I, um, I really admire actors for their ability to do that, and I'm very comfortable knowing that that's not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. But and um, the way you talk about your very early childhood uh, theatrical kind of games, yeah, uh, this part of me thinks you're never a director, like because you were directing as a kid as well. It was, I was writing yeah. more than and direction. Well, the, partly how I got into writing that first play yeah. was that I worked out that I could be a director, maybe. Right. And I did some, um, it, by A-level at school, I was doing a bit of directing in terms of if we did a school play, I would ask to be the assistant director to the to the teacher to that the was teacher, directing yeah. it rather than be in it sort right. of thing. Um, and I wrote the Crucible Theatre and said, I want to be a director, can I come and shadow some rehearsals? Um, That's really driven, you were really I was, driven. Well, I was forcing myself to be brave. Yeah. I hadn't... I'd done some, my school had set up some work experience in GCSE years um, where I'd been to Buxton Opera House and they were very used to having work experience kids for a week every every summer and Mm. we were sort of basically sat in a corner sticking posts, sticking um, stickers on posters. It was back in those days where you, touring theatres had a poster with like a white box at the bottom (laughs) and you had to... Pritt stick the actual yeah. details of the theatre you know things like that that really didn't teach me very much about how theatre worked mm-hmm. I mean probably not their fault I was probably there in a very quiet week but um, it left me feeling like I it might have been their fault mate it, it, might, it might just be what they do to work experience <laughs> fifth but, years well this was also the time when I wanted to get into a drama course at university and I, I needed to, I just needed to know more I needed to mm. um, so I I wrote to them and said, can I come and watch some rehearsals? And my letter sort of found its way through to the education department, who were very strong there. Mm. And they had a TIE show about to go into rehearsals and invited me to come for... I went for a week, I think, in my half-term holiday from school and watched them rehearsing. Wow. Um, And I met the playwright of that show, Mark Davis Markham, who... um, 
became a really good mate and sort of one of the you always remember them the first adults who properly took you seriously yeah and talked to you like a person and he probably <laughs> properly really talked to me like a person um and we'd sort of go to the pub and talk about writing after rehearsals and things like that and um and he sort of worked out that I was interested in writing and kind of challenged me to write a full-length play um and so I, I went off and did that um what a beautiful person to have in that time yeah, of your life amazing absolutely yeah. amazing um, Were you a reader of plays at that time? No, not really, not really. But then there weren't very many plays about. I mean, we forget we're we're sort of inundated with them, and you know, every time we go to the theatre, someone's <laughs> getting you to buy yeah, buy, yeah. buy the script, or yeah. you know. But they there weren't many around to be had. I mean, I looked for them in the in the library, and there re there really wasn't. It was this what very the mid nineties or yeah, late nineties? This would have been. Um, yeah, I mean, I went to university in '96. So yeah. Sort of the, yeah, absolutely. The it was a real innovation of Graham Wybrow here. It was his idea to persuade publishers to publish was the it? play text as ah. the programme. And that was as late as like '97, '98. Yeah, amazing. amazing. So even getting original play texts of Blasted or that '96 yeah. season is really yeah. hard to get the, orig yeah. the original ones. Yeah, so all of that, that work that was happening yeah. here was, you know, very. Alien, distant from Sheffield, distant like from Sheffield. it was in Stockport, yeah, Manchester. Yeah, yeah. And so, I think there were, if there, I probably would have been able to sort of pick up a, a sort of minor Terence Rattigan yeah. kind of thing, yeah. and a couple of Eightborns. But I remember at university reading uh, a, a Stephen Burkhoff play and thinking that that's what contemporary—that was the only contemporary yeah. play I'd ever yeah. seen. Yeah, there was nothing kicking around. Yeah. I mean, I so suppose the plays that that I would have read would have been the ones that I studied at school because I yeah. did theatre studies at A-level and we had to study sort of five or six plays in detail there. But, but yeah, not, not, not really until I was older was I able to sort of pick them up and read them for pleasure or do the thing that I love now of going to see one and, and reading it again on the tube on the way home. Sort of thing. But you wrote your play. Yeah, I wrote my play. Yes, I did, at, at Mark's insistence. And... Um, and the buggers produced it. And they produced it, yeah. <laughs> Tell in, me about that. So that was a surprise. <laughs> so I sent it in. Yeah, so Mark read it and sort of gave me notes on it and helped me sort of shape it. And um, it, I sent it back to the education department to see yeah. what they thought of it. Yeah. Um, and they, they were the department in charge of running the youth theatre there as well, which was also very strong. Yeah. And um, it was a play about a young woman my age living in Sheffield and a close friendship that she had uh, with another young woman who was from an Asian background and they were, it was about kind of a culture clash thing. Um, or them learning about each other's lives and sort of just how it felt to be a 17-year-old girl in Sheffield, really. Great. Um, and... Um, and yeah, they said they wanted they they could put it on for a week, and they would use actors from the youth theatre and have a sort of grown up professional director, and um, and it was going to happen. And what was that like? I, I I don't well maybe I thought it was perfectly normal. <laughs> every, every, every play you ever I mean I learned quite quickly after that that it didn't happen to every play, um, but um, it, it was it was really exciting. It was, uh, of course, it was to, um, yeah, all those ideas that had come out of my head. I mean, I, I remember really 
strongly sitting in the auditorium mm. on the first the night of the first show and being kind of a bit surprised when the audience started coming in and thinking <laughs> oh yeah right people including my mum and my dad are going to watch this and some and I think quite often you you forget that or you can't always be thinking about them because yeah. otherwise you just get completely choked yeah. um and yeah. so it, it can still sometimes be a surprise when the audience pitch up and you're like you, what are you doing here well, it's interesting you're yeah. uh when you're writing your plays, you imagine them existing in the rehearsal room rather than the auditorium with the people yeah. coming in. <laughs> you yeah. got your place at Bristol. I did. did. Were you doing what were you doing? What did you do there? I did the drama course, which great, which was drama colon theatre comma film and television. It's got quite a good track record that course, right? Is that that was yeah. that where Sean Holmes went? He did, oh, he did an Ooh, MA there, I, I think. I don't know. He, he did his undergraduate at York, then I think he went to Bristol. David Gregg was... Sarah Kane Bristol. was Sarah there. Bristol, Sarah Kane was there, right. Um, I think that was where Sean met Sarah Lots of well. amazing... But I think Mark Ravenhill might have gone Right, I think that's right. I think that's right. I, I'm going to claim all of these yeah, people good, as Bristolians yeah, anyway. Yeah, Shakespeare um, went there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Very much him. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda was there with <laughs> <laughs> Actually not. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Um... But, um, how, how was it? What was it like? I had a really good time, but not not simply because of the drama course. I think I made my own. I, I sort of made my own world out of some of that and some of working with the drama society, yeah, with the student union mm -hmm. as well. So at that time, the drama course was f quite strong on things like devised work. Right. Uh, uh, so it was quite hard to get hold of a script for anything, or you know. So for me, it was a little bit frustrating because it wasn't very sort of writing. F f I mean, we were doing academic writing. We were writing essays about things and analysing things, and I love all the stuff that I learned there. Yeah. Um, but so they're very strong in medieval theatre and Renaissance theatre. But there wasn't anybody doing kind of either naturalism or modern theatre. Mm -hmm. um, where I could kind of learn things that I felt were really relevant to what I was trying to do with this kind of career that I was always already very kind of carefully plotting. <laughs> um, so I I was writing then and I did a couple of plays of my own with the Drama Society. Yeah. Um, Just in the university or did you take them up to Edinburgh yeah, or anything like that? Yeah, I didn't do Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was it was kind of a mixed time for me at university because I had a little bit of a sort of the end of my first year and going for uh, uh, I sort of, it's a bit over dramatic to call it a nervous breakdown but I had a bit of a crash right. um, and got quite depressed and I think it was the result of having spent quite a lot of my school life and the first year of university just frantically trying to achieve yeah. and just pushing myself and pushing myself and pushing myself yeah. and and that being so kind of strongly linked to my self, a sense of self-worth, I think, um, that I, I just sort of had a bit of a collapse, really, and mm. I couldn't, couldn't hack it. So then my second and third year were about doing as much as I could um, without pushing myself too far, yeah. kind of thing. But, and so writing was really important during that time, and I did a couple of plays. Right, was writing something that helped you calibrate 
yeah that tension between yeah being happy in your work and yeah. not just kind of driving yourself too too yes. hard yeah yes and that was probably the time of my life that had the most private writing right. going on in yeah. it um in like journal writing and yeah writing. Yeah, oh, yeah or things that m might kind of look like dialogue but probably wouldn't ever right. be seen by anybody else sort of yeah. thing because it was all a bit kind of raw mm might have been quite good. I don't know. I don't know. I've still got it. Um, <laughs> worth finding. Worth, worth looking. Find it, yeah. We um, rehash that and put it on somewhere. <laughs> exactly. Quite quickly. Those um, ideas are harder to come by. The older you get, mate, just wait. Like when you really cared about you'll be, things. You'll be in God. your parents. You'll be in your parents' attic next time. You. <laughs> Yeah, the thing about Laura Wade is she really understands teenage minds. <laughs> just, it's just my old diary. <laughs> yeah. So sort of having come through that, and I th there was something about university that I didn't really um, shake off until later. I stayed in Bristol for three years after university. Did you? And, I was and working with the youth theatre companies, was yeah, that, was that part of the story right? right yeah, okay, so yeah. I would yeah, started working with them, um, a good friend of mine, had worked for the company before and set up a Bristol branch when she came to university and mm. so I helped her I was her assistant for the three years that we were on the drama course so which meant every Saturday morning getting up and working with a group of five-year-olds at half past nine oh, in the morning wow. um, which, which is the kind of thing most like 22 year olds <laughs> <do>. <laughs> it, well it meant I didn't go to any Friday night parties for most right. of that three years okay. because it just was I think I did it once yeah and it just wasn't worth it. They're unforgiving, aren't they, the yeah, five-year-olds? They really are. And you don't. You, I think I took a pro plus that time, and yeah, that just made it worse. <laughs> it was just. What was awful. it like making work with them, though? Was it? Did you enjoy that element of it? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. A lot, um, and it was an, an early um, sort of scooting forward a little bit to after university when I was still there and I was running the. Uh, I, I became the leader of the. Bristol branch of that company. Oh, great! Um, yeah. It was the first time I got to write for a big cast, mm. which obviously you know you don't when you're when you're starting out, and if you're going to have things produced professionally, they've got to fit in the finbra. Yeah, yeah. And they've yeah. got to be affordable. Yeah. So um, it was a really useful opportunity to be writing for, for and I got an in my interest in ad adaptations. Um, kind of came about then. I think I did. A, sort of trilogy of fairy tale adaptations with that were modernized right for my cool bristol kids <laughs> that that you know were not going to want to do the pied piper yeah but might be up for doing the pied piper if i set it in bosnia sort of thing wow um, that's rather brilliant so, and was it really as young as five you were working with? So with the, with the workshops, yeah. In fact, we had a toddlers group. We, were, we had a toddlers group that started from the age of two, that was then on on a Wednesday afternoon. So any office job, that because I, I was doing yeah. office jobs during right, okay. the week as well. And the yeah. office job I got had to give me a really long lunch break on a Wednesday so I could go off and do this like hour long. How brilliant session with these toddlers. What was that like? I'm genuinely fascinated in how you make theatre with toddlers. Well, you don't. It's all. It's like drama games that right, okay. release their imagination, and it has a slightly performative element. And each workshop would be based around a little a, a picture book, and we would take the story from that and okay. do acting out bits of it and yeah. songs and things. And as they got older, as they moved through the different streams. 
the different age groups of the classes, it would become more and more performative. But it was a great company because it was, you could be a kid that went there on a Saturday morning because it was fun, or you yeah. could be a kid that, or, or it made you, helped you with your confidence, or yeah. it was different from school, yeah. um, or it was stuff that you didn't get to do at school, or you could be a kid who had a dream to be in the theatre and then you would be able to get involved with the productions and things outside of the actual regular workshops. So it really kind of catered for the, the different children. It's an amazing company. And for you as, a, as an artist, it means that you are working like regularly in theatre, even with you, you're making text, you're making text for performance. Yeah. That's yeah. one hell of a training, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Were you aware of that at the time? Or, because I love the idea that you've got this secret plan that you concocted <laughs> in your head about <laughs> how you were going to... I'm going to spend a lot of years formulating oh. my career. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, did you I was enjoy it? That it was, was it frustrating? What, what? No, I enjoyed it. I mean, I was frustrated, not not by that job. I was frustrated at that time by being in Bristol and waiting for my yeah. writing career to start, really. And I had a weird thing where I didn't really know what I was writing about or right. what to write about. And so for, for a while, the kind of this this desire or this need to, to work in the theatre wasn't matched by... Um, in, enough to, to write about or, or or to say, and that's a really weird feeling, hmm. you know, because it was it was yeah, and it was sort of wasn't till I moved to London, and probably sort of started coming here, yeah. that 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 kind of all came together, and I started to sort of you know, find my voice. As I, I can't say find my voice in a normal voice. This is being English about it. When I when I came to the Royal Court and found my voice. <laughs> Um, sound like such a twat, but um, well, you don't. Yeah. I mean, that phrase is kind of like a cliche, but yeah. what you're doing is you're figuring out what it is you want yeah, to say. Absolutely. As much as absolutely. knowing that you want to be in these yeah. type of yeah. buildings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just. I, I wonder if it's a slightly sort of d different way around um, to have it from from some people who yeah, come I'm, into it with a kind of burning rage or yeah. political angst or, or or whatever that you know the things that they feel need to need to be said and theatre becomes a medium for doing that for me it was like I want to work in the theatre how are we going to do that it's really beautiful I think I really like that how old were you when you came to London 24 25 you've done your three years in Bristol and it was straight to yeah, London after that yeah, yeah it was and then I cause, because when I started coming to the young writers program here mm. I was j only just young enough Right. I sort of got in just before I turned 26, I think. Had you written Young Emma then? Had you written... No, I was I was writing Young Emma. I don't know Young at Emma at all. No need. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really, no. Really, but tell really me about no W.H. Davis or about the novel or about, about that job. Well, that was... Um, that was me moving to London and Tamara had... Um, who was already a very close friend of mine at um, Bristol. Um, she had moved to London straight after university. Oh, we'd, done a, we'd done a show in Bristol together at the Bristol Old Vic studio. Yeah. Not studio, in fact. They had a third space that was called The Basement and they did lunchtime theatre there and we did a show there that mm -hmm. I'd written and that we worked on together. And um, 
and then she moved to London and sort of started forming her career and I kind of rode in on her coattails three years later and um, she'd I think already started a relationship with the Finborough and we wanted to do something together and we sent them a play that I'd written um, which she and I had sort of I, I, Tamara had read and given me notes on etc sort of this dreadful dreadful play about um, a young couple in their 20s um, who'd bought a new sofa <laughs> I'd sort of decided <laughs> I'd done I'd done my mother said I never should in um, in for my A-levels right. and I remember Charlotte Keeley's got that note in the front of the play that says there are no sofas in this play okay. which is for people That's... staging it yeah Good note, actually. Yeah, yeah, so like the sort of twat I was, I'd taken that as a provocation. <laughs> but <laughs> like, fucking loads what of if sofas. There was just one massive sofa, <laughs> right. forgetting that that's like every play that anybody writes in their <laughs> 20s. <laughs> it's like, oh, what a great idea. What about some people in a bedsit with a sofa? <laughs> Shut up. Um, so, you know, very clearly the, the work of somebody who didn't have enough to say. Um, <laughs> But um, Neil McPherson, who who runs the theatre, read it and thankfully didn't do it. But um, he's always a brilliant one for coming up with like odd ideas yeah. that m m end up working. And he'd got this funny little book that he'd found somewhere called Young Emma that was a, a memoir um, from W.H. Davis and fancied doing an adaptation of it. Um, and so we we did that, and we we made it a, a slightly put in a sort of theatrical frame for it that a publisher. There was something about it being unpublishable for a while because it dealt with him having syphilis, and it, he, nobody wanted to publish it because it was sort of deemed a bit too shocking. Or it, talk, it talked about him having um, sex with women that he wasn't married to, right. and he. Um, no, not not in any kind of detailed or explicit way, but um, he was just living a quite bohemian life. And so in your adaptation, you found a way of framing framing it. Um, See, that's really interesting. That isn't it? They, they'd they'd got this manuscript and they couldn't decide whether they were going to print it or not. Which um, goes right back to the kind of railway children, where actually the thrill you're getting is the the revelation the, the craft, of the actuality yeah. of the craft of theatre. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's really fun. Yeah. Tell me that because I remember I remember you in the in the groups as I said. I remember uh, being astonished that you're from Sheffield, but the sense I got that it was an incredible time of creativity for you because you got two major plays, I mean award-winning plays, written in the space of what at the time felt like a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it, it I wasn't, know. but it's kind of like, if I were to go back in my memory, it's like week one you handed in colder than here. Yeah. Weeks since I've got an idea for another play. So, you know, <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. What were your memories of that time of coming here, coming to the Young Writers Programme and starting writing those two plays? Must have been written similar times, it's right? Really similar, yeah. I'm, yeah. The way it happened was that Colder Than Here I wrote for the play to hand in at the end of that first Young Writers Programme right. course. Right, I do remember that, yeah. Um, and then we, I, we had a rehearsed reading of it here. Yeah. And um, my agent, the person who became my agent, came and watched that yeah. and picked me up off the back of that. She's who still was my that? agent, Charlotte Knight. Charlotte, yeah, right. Who is still my agent now. Yeah. And is wonderful. Mm. Um, and but it became clear that it wasn't going to be a play that the Royal Court were going to produce. 
but because do you remember those conversations or or your sense of why they weren't going to produce it? I don't it? think I don't can't quite remember what filtered back to me, but it's the sense I got was that it was a bit soft. Right. Um. Uh, it wasn't quite a a royal court yeah. kind of a play. Did that make sense to you? Yeah, because I think one of the things that I'd done at the Young Writers Programme was work on getting comfortable with who I was as a writer. Mm. And I stopped... Until then, for a while, I had been trying to be a Royal Court-style writer, which in my head meant trying to be Sarah Kane. Yeah. So um, I'd been sort of sending for several... Um, years running sending things into the Young Writers Festival the, the, the most recent one before I started the Young Writers Programme was this play about a young woman who was depressed sitting on a bed swallowing razor blades That's I was great. just like oh, <laughs> really? Um, and um, yeah so that was really me trying to be something that I don't think I was right. um, and something that I think you in, in your sessions really helped bring out was that you don't have to try and be someone else the best person to be in your writing is yourself I'm mm. not in a scary sort of self-actualization kind of a way but um, be the writer that the, the best writer that you can be sort of thing because um, Sarah Kane I mean it's I mean I was very conscious that uh, a lot of the people listening to these things are people who, who are in that position mm. and they want to write for the Royal Court mm. and they're thinking how can I write for the Royal Court and yeah. I think it's the most important thing to remember Sarah Kane didn't write those plays no. thinking I'm going to write like I don't know April D'Angelis yeah exactly. she just it was exactly. as, as clear a crystallisation exactly. of her sense of self yeah and I didn't get a play on here yeah until I stopped trying to write like a Royal Court writer and when my my um, my agent said to me, because we were just starting to work together and she's looking for things for me to do and trying to save me from my life of temping <laughs> that I was in at that time. And um, Soho Theatre wanted to do Colder Than Here, but mm -hmm. they couldn't do it for a year because um, the person that was going to direct it was on maternity leave mm -hmm. and she was going to direct it when she came back. But then was, there was this whole year gap, which obviously to a 26-year-old feels like forever. Yeah. And my agent said, well, write me a play hand it in in three months and I'll find somewhere to put it on and it turned out that that somewhere ended up being the Royal Court <laughs> me having kind of got comfortable with the idea that I wasn't going to be a Royal Court writer you were freed from that burden yeah and wrote Breathing yeah, Corpses and wrote Breathing Corpses tell me do you remember the process of writing Breathing Corpses in particular yeah it was very technical yeah because it's, it's probably my most technical piece yeah. ever that Escher um, print, I th I'm pleased with that Escher print. Image. It's very good. Thanks, yeah, man. Thank yeah, you. I was thank I was you. hoping you were going to compliment it. Yeah, no, I liked it. it. I liked yeah. it. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> That's because what it, I was driving at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did actually. Ha I think I did on my wall. But back then, I used to always make myself a collage. Great. <laughs> I had yeah. so much free time. Um, <laughs> so I would. But the first part of my writing process was always collecting some images and making a collage to to look at while I was writing. That's very good. It's good though. Yeah. I mean, it is a consequence of having a lot of free time. A lot of free time. But yeah. it crystallises a unifying yeah. tone, doesn't yeah, it? It's like absolutely. the tone you're getting Absolutely. For. Yeah. Absolutely. You just have to make sure that you've got a, like, a good selection of magazines, that they're not all <laughs> Sunday Times culture section or whatever. <laughs> it's just like a lot of pictures yeah. of A.A. Gill on your wall. But, um, but, um, but yeah, and so Escher had been there yeah. as, a, as a kind of... Um, oh, right. Oh, great. Uh, idea for the structure yeah yeah because it for those people who don't know it 
it's a play that kind of starts with the scene that it that it chronologically then returns to. Yeah, it's three. Se- I've not reread it in preparation for this interview, which is shameful of me. No, no, no. It's There's th- no need. It's three. It's, it's three. It's not three. St- it's three strands. Three strands. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's basically it's it's three people who've each found a dead body. Yeah. And each of them is the dead body in one of the other stories. Yes, brilliant. Which turns out when you write it down to be impossible. <laughs> um, but you managed it, right? I think, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't it doesn't logically work. Yeah. You can't make it logically work unless you decide one of them is a ghost. Which right. I will not have. Yeah. Because, yeah. Or um, you chron- or or you rupture the logic of chronology. Yeah. Which is much more yeah, interesting. It, yeah. Somebody yeah. has to be. Yeah. Yeah. It goes around in a circle and it keeps repeating and repeating and repeating like an Escher. Did it feel um, having because and the end it ended up right that colder than here was produced almost simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. It was both two thousand and five. They were. Yeah, that must have were, felt like the thing that you were you were want, wanting back in Bristol, and yes, before that, all of were, it. Be careful what you wish for, because suddenly there's two rehearsal rooms, and you're supposed to be in both of them. Were you? Was it actual simultaneous rehearsal? It was. Well, it overlapped by about a week. Brilliant. And the show, the actual performances, we started, we started previewing here while Colder Than Here was still running for the last few nights at the Soho. Um, so yeah. It well, must have felt. How mad. did that feel? It felt amazing. It felt amazing. Well, it felt. It also felt like quite a relief because you, normally you do your first play, and it, it did feel like a first play because obviously it was my first big London play. Although I'd already done others before, but your first play at Soho or the Court feels yeah. like another beginning. Yeah. Um, and then to get my second play out of the way really quickly, it, there wasn't any kind of difficult second album syndrome. I got to go straight onto the sort of the yeah, weird abstract. Right third album without any worry <laughs> kind of thing um, so yeah it was it was wonderful and it was it was busy and I was um, I was young and single and had you know I was able to sort of try and be in every, everywhere at once and it was uh, I, I got lots of attention off the back of it in terms of being offered lots of things to do too many of which I said yes to mm-hmm. um, but yeah it was re- and the, for the the play is to be sort of slightly similar thematically, but also quite different stylistically. Yeah, and totally. It, it was a great. Right. Yeah. yeah, it was just a really good beginning, and it was really nice to to sort of then be in the kind of professional theatre community. And by then, I was writing professionally as well, so I didn't. I leaving the temping jobs. Leaving the temping jobs. Well, you, yeah. I, I always love talk, just briefly talking to people about the jobs they do before they're in that position. Yeah. Especially because I'm aware that a lot of people listening to that are listening it's to this there. are yeah. doing those yeah, jobs. Yeah. yeah. But we get they, they're useful in the end, in kind of weird ways. Really useful. Yeah. Where were I you mean. For, was that when or where? Where, where were you temping? Um, what was the best one? In London, it was. I did a lot in the city. Right. Um, and um, working for people who've been in the Bollingdon Club. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot of fa- fair. They weren't actually that fancy. The banks I worked for, they were right. mostly sort of the headquarters of high street banks. Okay. And lots of people who would commute to random places every day, which I always found rather an odd thing to do. That you'd commute for an hour from Guildford, or I, I worked for someone who worked in Peterborough 
well, she would like to take the train all of that way mm. and then at the end of the day just as London's getting good get back on the train <laughs> and leave again um, I, I just thought that found that really weird but it was as as a time for for watching people and for characters it was amazing because I the sort of jobs I would do were sort of secretarial reception kind of there were things that I wasn't necessarily using all of my brain for mm -hmm. And I was very conscious of wanting to stay at a level where I just just needed to earn enough money to pay the rent. Yeah, great. I wasn't interested in prog any, any time anybody said, do you fancy staying and doing this job? Yeah. I'd be like, mm -mm, yeah, no, because I, I need to stay on level one. Yeah. Um, which, because you were writing in the evening. Because I was writing in the evenings at the weekend. Program. And, yeah. you know, if uh, there were times when I'd be shipped in somewhere to do someone's reception job and it would actually be really quiet yeah. and I'd be sort of I didn't have a laptop at the time but on my notebook Great. underneath the desk sort of thing using that time and watching people and hearing people talk and just yeah I got some really interesting kind of characters out of those the, uh, settings and then propelled from the kind of dual engines of breathing corpses and colder than hair you, you're a writer you're a writer you're writing yeah. TV you do TV work? Did you say yes to TV work? I did. I, I still never had anything made for TV. Still now? Yeah, still now. It's a rubbish industry. <laughs> it's really no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's entirely my own fault. I haven't put the time in. Right. Um, I think that, actually. I, yeah. I remember... I remember a conversation with Jack Thorne, who, in my memory, uh, was a peer of yours. I met him the first session. Yeah, you were in the writers. same group, We met right? in the queue outside, yeah. And you were good friends, I think. We were really close yeah. for a few years, it yeah. It was really beautiful. Yeah, we, like, hustled our way around London theatre together. I remember yeah. the realisation why Jack Thorne was going to write the defining TV dramas of his generation and I wasn't was because he bloody loves television. Yeah, absolutely. And he, he absolutely. really loves TV writing. Absolutely, no-one deserves it more. Nobody has worked harder for it than him. It's really inspiring. Yeah, yeah. The, um, um, but you were writing radio, writing other adaptations, yeah. you were working full-time in writing yeah. drama, yeah. which is yeah. really thrilling. Yeah, it was did great. You, did you enjoy it? Well, enjoy is a difficult word, <laughs> isn't it? I, mean, I don't know, I think... Um, I mean, I know we've, we've talked about this before in, in terms of how, um, how possible it is to actually enjoy writing in the moment. Um, mm. You know, there are things about it I enjoy. I, I know that the job is right for me and my personality. I know it's right for me to be working by myself for a lot of the time. I think that's better for everyone. Mm. Um, and <laughs> I um, didn't mean to hum so encouraging. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, I'm yeah, glad Laurie, you said you really that. Laura, should, should stay <laughs> home more, actually. Um, but um, yeah, some of I, I, I think I do a good job of making it look really difficult <laughs> because some of it is. Um, sort of psychological torture Are you when a you're trying to yeah yeah still you're not I, um, doing collages anymore don't do collages anymore no i've got children now <laughs> the collages, the collages are on the floor <laughs> uh, it was a mixture of plastic toys and breakfast cereal yeah. um but um yeah no i i really love the plan i still love the architecture of something that, that they're is usually some kind of structural hook for me or something um, in the texture of, of a play that's that's my way into it right. yeah. um, and then the story is kind of hung on that yeah 
yeah so it's still still lots of planning really but there's lovely. all there are always yeah moments of real difficulty in uh, sort of hitting walls or not being able to get something out i mean i don't i really don't find writing wise like i don't i don't sit down at the desk in the morning and it all pours out of me i'm much more a kind of blood from a stone kind of writer do you do you sit by a desk and allow the blood to come out of a stone or just talking yeah. recently to other write, another writer who said a lot of his work was like walking the dog. He'd just yeah, be walking should, and, and... I should get a dog. Get <laughs> everybody, a dog. Listen, everybody should get a dog. Can't is my main, stand dogs, is my, the problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so your, your process will be to sit behind your desk and then repeatedly hit your head just, against just the desk. Rock, yeah. Just rock, just <laughs> rock, yeah. yeah. I've got, I work in a shed right, down oh, the bottom nice. of our garden now, Yeah. Um, which I'm... Shed, Shed is a sort of self-deprecating word for it because it's actually very nice and it's got sort of double glazed windows. Mm. Um, but I don't think people can hear me scream in there. <laughs> At some point, I'm going to find out that's wrong, and my next door neighbours will be like, "Were you all right last week?" <laughs> but yes, it was a second draft. Right. Um, but um, yeah, so it it does tend to be sitting there and 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 and, and just giving it the time, really. Yeah. Um, and you're a note go taker. Do you still I've, write by hand, do, or do I, you make notes well, by Well, I hand? do. I do a mixture of both, really. I don't yeah. really have a um, a set um, habit, except that I I will often th- think on paper. So yeah. if I'm trying if I'm trying to work something out, I do. Use, yeah. I use a lot of lists. Great. And always, um, you know, if, what could what could they be arguing about, kind of thing. Yeah. And make a make a big list, and so probably idea seventeen on that list will be great useful, and there'll be lots of sort of rubbish cliche stuff. All right, I quite often just make myself write the bad version. Okay. That I just without any kind of censorship, yeah. sort of just just sit down and write the really shit cliched version of this scene. And the process of and them making the play is refining that. Bad yeah, version. or just yeah. finding just just to combat the empty page, really. Yeah. And to try and to try and let it flow, and I feel like I'm always trying to unlock the flow in in writing, and then the times when it is flowing it, are, are just the most joyful and euphoric mm. ever. But it's it it can take a while to get there, and I'm learning as I get older. You know what what things it needs to get there. Um, my wife always says she knows when I'm on. A good day when she hears me laughing while I'm writing. Yes, <laughs> it's kind of just laughing yes. at my own. It's not necessarily even the own jokes. It's I kind of laugh at the things that I dare the characters to do mm. to each other. So if I'm laughing, yeah. it's normally I've written a really brutal scene. Yeah, kind of <laughs> uh, it, with me it's usually if I've come up with some brilliant new knob gag. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah. underestimate no. the knob gag. No, That's I've great. built a career on it, mate. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell me about the writing of Posh. So Posh was. Posh was a kind of coming out of another period of of having found writing difficult, mm. I think. Because after after Colder Than Here and Breathing Corpses, and then the year later I did Other Hands at yeah. the Soho, which had the Other Hands was written in the whole first flush mm-hmm. of that. I think I wrote it quite soon after um, Corpses had been on. Yeah. So that was done, that was ready. And then I suddenly found myself with nothing again. Um and was was writing various ideas that just didn't ever quite fly mm. and um uh Lindsay Turner came to me with um 
actually, I can't remember exactly what the very first approach was, but Dominic Cook wanted to put the two of us together. Okay. It was shortly after he'd started here, yeah. running the building, and the court had commissioned me to write a new play after having done Breathing Corpses and um, were sort of interested to know why I hadn't, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or where where their money was, maybe, I don't know. Um, but um, they were starting to do this rough cuts thing mm. and wanted to put me and Lindsay together because she was the in-house assistant director at that time and wanted to put us together to try and create something for rough cuts and I told Dominic that I at the time I was trying to work on a play which I'm st which I still kind of returned to the idea of but it was about luxury the idea of luxury and um, and Lindsay wanted to write something about wealth mm. uh, wanted to work on something about wealth and yeah. Dominic thought well that sounds quite Similar. There's a relationship between yeah, luxury yeah, and yeah, wealth. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So, put, so it put us together. And we did a, a couple of weeks investigating what it meant really to be a young wealthy person in this area here in Chelsea with the Royal Court on their, on their doorstep right. and the King's Road and everything. And, um, we talked to lots of different people and I, I loved that process of working together to, f to find the play. Mm. Um, and having a director as well who, who was able to just sort of put things in my way that would um, make me think of, or, or might come up with something different or interesting in, in a way that I might not have thought of or I, I wouldn't have known what calls to make to get the right people for us to sit down and have a cup of tea with. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Lindsay was brilliant. And during during that time, we came across the idea of these dining societies there'd been a play um, a story in one of the newspapers about a scandal involving the Bullingdon Club mm. um, and it was it was having found that that the idea of um, those clubs seemed sort of a perfect metaphor really um, for the behavior of the wealthy mm -hmm. and it was the, so it was the first time I'd really written something that had a kind of a political um, impetus really but and I'd spent years before that going around saying I wasn't a political writer <laughs> which I think really was just m me saying I don't feel like I know enough politics to write about it without feeling like an idiot right. sort of thing yeah and there's something very emboldening about working with a director yeah that you know it, it, something in the gesture was shared so yeah. it was kind of a, um, s um, released a bit really from from that feeling um, because you're released from the notion that it's singly you hectoring yeah, other people yeah, about or, a political or one. there's someone to sort of check check things check things with yeah or, great you know we we can we could build it and we work really closely together on building the play mm. yeah um, and really closely on sort of I'd write scenes and and show them to her and then um, we'd sort of um, go back and forth a lot um, and she was a real engine for that. Thinking this weekend about your, uh, about your work and about your writing uh, and uh, talking to Chris Campbell, the literary manager here at the court just this morning, he made the observation that Posh is like the great play that predicted Brexit because it's a, a, <laughs> bunch, of, a bunch of posh boys can trash their, their world and it yeah. won't affect them at all. because they get away. They're going to get away, they're going to be I fine. Know, awful. Yeah, and I, it was what struck me watching uh, Home, I'm Darling, was it felt as though it was, there's the nostalgia, the existential 
agony of the nostalgia that's at the mm. heart of that really reminded me of England's sense of self going up into into this moment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I can think of fewer better political playwrights writing about England now than you. So it's great that you think. <laughs> you <can own laughs> that's that. nice. Did, did you? En- I mean, the, I, I remember sitting in an audience here. Yeah. I, I saw it here rather than the West yeah. End. Saw posh here in the rather than the West End. And it felt an electric audience because it felt completely split. Absolutely. By people who, I presume you were probably (laughs) more sympathetic with your perception that you didn't necessarily celebrate and advocate this behaviour, but then other people in the room who were really guffawing along with the boys. absolutely. Rather than kind of laughing at their atrocious behaviour. I mean, some nights it was as simple as the circle and the stalls. Right. (laughs) In terms of political, uh, political and financial allegiances. And yeah, it was... It was really interesting to do something that that people were able to enjoy on that level or to to, to learn that people from that background could watch it and not feel criticised. Yeah. Was extraordinary. (laughs) Absolutely extraordinary that they could be that impervious or that confident. Yeah. Yeah. That entitled or that... That entitled, yeah. Yeah. No, they made a play about us. Lovely. (laughs) Dinner. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but 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 really interesting as well in terms of the the, the sort of cultural meaning of, of of writing a play as well. I mean, it, it was the first time that I'd written anything that got discussed by people who hadn't seen it. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's it, the fact that it existed. Yeah. Was talked about in uh, in political columns in newspapers. Rather, and the, the 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 putting it on at the time it was put on, which coincided with the election that year, was yeah. seen as a political act by this theatre. Yeah. yeah. Which um, was partly a quirk of timing, but I'm sure you know, in some way, was it, it was a good time to do it because it would get attention, um, and it meant more to do it then than after the election, mm. because we didn't know what was going to happen. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a funny kind of mixed feeling. Really, I'm trying to think uh, how the kind of I always kind of do this one of these conversations. What, what the heck? The kind of girl who was a bit shy at school but found solace in writing and enjoyed the writing being read out, even if it meant she was going to get psychologically terrorised by the girls <laughs> in the class afterwards. You know how you then live with the fact that you've written a play that people who haven't even seen it are talking about it as a serious consideration of their political climate. Is that something you enjoy or are you happy to go back into your shed? I found it quite stressful then. I was very conscious of it because I had to do a lot of interviews about it. Yeah. Everybody was very interested. And then again, two years later, it was a bit easier two years later because although it wasn't something that one wanted to be right about, the play had kind of been proved yeah. by then, yeah. um, f- f- by two years of that government. Um, but yeah, it, it, I was always quite worried in, in, in interviews that I was going to say the wrong thing or say something that would expose my, um, my naivety, yeah. or that kind of stuff, because, um, you know, politically I'm... I'm really, I'm sort of, you know, I, I find myself quite politically naive in terms of being sort of pro-kindness and <laughs> general, general um, belief in the goodness of human nature. If you sort out people's circumstances, 
that, that they they are capable of being good to each other if they're not feeling desperate sort of thing which I got very strongly from uh, Home Mum Darling yeah and then I kind of I think we're living at a time that I hadn't anticipated but where the gesture of being kind seems to be the most radically politi- politically radical thing you can do yeah you yeah. know to be kind to each other in this climate I kind of feel like there like isn't an anything defiance. yeah yeah there almost isn't anything more important in the world right now and I feel like that's a really it's a really worth worthy thing for art to talk about is our connections with each other and so so much has happened to divide people from each other mm. that is unnecessary and people are when you put them together in a room um will will find common ground and so much of, of modern society has sort of worked to atomize people from each other and i think you know i i go back to to why theatre is a force for good and I think it is that it gets people into a room and our our job is, as an industry to, is to get everybody into um, into a room together. The experience of sitting next to somebody you've not met before who you might disagree with, yeah, like the audience of Posh, yes, yes. is actually one of the most fundamental things we can do and is yeah. disappearing in our culture because yeah. Yeah. we don't go to church anymore. No, no. It's... Uh, I, I, I cherish that about theatre. Yes, yes. Do you notice uh, themes that, or ideas that you return to in your plays? When I notice things like disguise or England, are you like, ah, oh, fuck off, Stephen, so you're just bullshit? Yeah, no, <laughs> I like that. I like <laughs> that when people spot stuff. Do, um, you, do, you, do, you, do you have ownership over the things that the kind yeah, of things that people are spotting? I've noticed recently that I write about food a lot. <laughs> Which Why might, is that, do you think? I think it's because I'm always hungry, but um, I think I'm really... For me, it, it sort of covers a lot of... Um, it's more than being always hungry, isn't it? Go on, what, what's no, it, it, well, it Yeah, no, it's, it, it's... I mean, Home I'm Darling um, uh, has quite a lot of food in it, partly because she's, she's a housewife, she's living as a housewife. Um, but, th- you know, you'll notice if you ever went back to study the play that there's a lot more in it about the cooking end of it yeah. than about the, the vacuuming end of it. Oh, the va- right, OK, great. So I'm, I'm clearly more interested. But the idea of... The, I suppose the idea that we all eat and there being a lot of cultural significance in what we eat um, or there's, there are class elements or political elements yeah. to what we eat. And the gesture of cooking for one another. Yeah, cooking the, for one another or know, feeding the, the each food other. food in posh, yeah, which is just, absolutely yeah. a kind of like... Uh, a lot of that was me and Lindsay both being really mad on MasterChef. <laughs> Lots of writers are mad on MasterChef. I've had really long conversations with a number of very prominent playwrights about how much we love MasterChef. But I've read but you it's recently the language of it. lacerating Bake Off as well in opposition to I that. have not lacerated Bake Off. I've read you describe no. it as infantilising. D- yeah, that was... Oh, I was really... I, I love baking. <laughs> and and no, I hadn't I didn't actually and that was that was one of those ones where they put something in a headline that's different from what you've said. Yeah, right. I I was talking right. about the kind of the cupcakey culture yeah. that had coalesced around that show. Um Sorry, we've been but, dis- I'm really aware we've been derailed from the question which is what do you write about? Well, and it's <laughs> So, I mean cake is key. <laughs> <laughs> but and um I, I think those those shows have a sort of an, an inbuilt drama. I mean, I often talk about playwriting in terms of um, baking, the way that you can 
things things work or don't work on on the basis of their ingredients but sometimes it's just random like you you bake a cake with the exact same ingredients one day and it rises beautifully and another day it sinks in the middle yeah. and you'd feel like you've not done anything different but yeah. and with a play that can be you yeah. know just slight tweaks to the cast and it's a different show or slight tweaks to the way everybody's feeling in the audience that day because of what's happened in the news and it's a different show you know all of that stuff um so a lot of my analogies are come have sort of a, a sort of food thing yeah. in them, but no, I'm just really in the, the way that yeah, culturally, um, feast and famine kind of ideas, and all the you know politically the way that um, you know what your life is like for what life can be like for people in society now who can't afford to give vegetables to their children, sort of thing. You know all of that. It's, yeah, it just seems like I haven't finished dealing with that theme. I don't think. Mm. I want to talk finally as a final question. There's so much we've not talked about. We've not talked about your collaborators. Not talked about Lindsay. Fuck him. Not talked about Tamara. <laughs> not talked about Sam. Or, yeah. you know, working with him. Yeah. You know, or how being a mother has affected your art. Less you, time. Sometimes that's useful, Maybe. right? Sometimes less time's useful. Can I always be? find when I've got to go and pick the kids up. If I've got that, I've, right, I've got two hours. I can't yeah. fuck around on the internet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. But I I'm, get, you know. I'm still slightly waiting for that to kick in. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's only been four years. So. Yeah. Um, before before you know it, they're giving you notes on your play. They yeah. come, they come <laughs> to see the previews and tell you that yeah. they prefer. Al in my experience, they come to see your plays and they're telling you that they prefer Alistair MacDowell's plays. Oh, <laughs> that's, oh, that's the future. Can't wait! Can't wait! Yeah, I mean, if I ever do a show that isn't. Wizard of Oz, then my <laughs> daughter's just going to be completely not interested. <laughs> the um, but I want. I guess if I was to ask you a final question about anything, I'm really fascinated that you're about to go into the rehearsal room and you've talked about the joy of that room, mm. and then the analogy of the. I'm really desperately trying to crank Tie the baking analogy together. in. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like what you're enjoying is the process of baking, but you're slightly yeah. taken aback by the arrival of the people who are going to eat the food. Yeah. But I guess it's the mine. final question, huh? <laughs> it's my cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess the final question would be, is what is theatre for for you? That's really tricky. Um, it's for... it's. It, I, I suppose for me it's my connection to the world. It's, it's my favourite thing to do outside <laughs> of the house. <laughs> um, Second only to going for a nap, I think. <laughs> um, so it for, it's it's for me my way of processing the world. It's my way of saying to people, "Do you think this too?" Mm. Um, it, it's it's my way of being part of a community. Um, it it's it's f I mean, in a wider sense, it's it's. It's for community, as we were saying earlier. It's for, for people being in a room together and sharing that moment. Um, and I and I feel passionately that we mustn't lose that. Mm. Um, that that it that it ought to be something that people did more, not less, as we progress as human beings. Um, and it's, you know, so it's if if change comes out of that, then. I, you know, then I think that's wonderful. Um, 
but it's just the act yeah the act, the active community i think and the active Im- imagination and and, and sharing a, a, an idea or something that we all absolutely understand isn't real but also it is hmm. um and that that childlike joy and i don't really get that with anything else in life but that that that, that train being a real train even though it's not a real train but it is a real train i don't think anything else is as exciting as that really. Laura Wade, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Simon Stevens. <laughs> but we normally do this thing with producer Anushka, who's a bit of, I think, a cult, producer Emily and producer Anushka, like cult heroes. In, <laughs> in the show. The, uh, where you, you've got your facts and questions. Uh, have, you got, have you got facts and so questions for Anushka? Um, yes. Yeah? <laughs> so basically... On the University of Bristol's alumni page. Oh, great. The first page, because mm. they just pulled out in some of their prominent alumni as uh, Darren Brown, mm-hmm. uh, Timothy Pickett Smith, uh, Greg mm. Duran, Mark mm. Ravenhill, Matthew Walkus, and Sarah Kane. Wow. That's quite, a, that's quite a drama society. Amazing. Um, yeah. And then the only question, and you only have to answer yes or no, uh, is uh, just because of the um, imagining of sort of eight-year-old you with Jesus Christ Superstar, did did you ever then direct anything? Yeah, it was awful. Where did yes, you? Yes, I did. At I Bristol. directed at Bristol. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, um, I really used that time to do my mistake making, um, <laughs> and uh, learnt that yeah, I'm not a director. Did you direct Jesus Christ Superstar? I didn't direct Jesus Christ. Maybe no, I directed a play by Laura Wade. Um, oh, that's your mistake. Which was, uh, the yes, crafted from your finest melodrama. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, in a very weird way, um, Tamara, who directed Home I'm Darling, was in it. Oh, great. So it was, her, it was part of her learning that she's not an actor. <laughs> and me learning that I'm not a director. And eventually we all managed to sit in the right chair. But, um, really yeah, dread, dreadful. Di- I can't do it at all. It's so much tact and diplomacy that I just don't know. <laughs> You've got to like being pe- being with people all the time, haven't you, the director? <laughs> yeah. I, like, I like being with people a bit of the time. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop. The Playwrights Podcast is brought to you by the Royal Court Theatre, presented by me, Simon Stevens, produced by Anushka Warden and Emily Legg.